ultra Tuscan orange grapefruit. My God, America is imploding. Sup? Welcome to Fan Zone. Uh, my name is Tim. I have Stitch's ass in my face, <laughs> and we're here for another episode. Um, this might go down as the worst and or greatest episode of debate to ever happen at multiplex uh joining me today we have mr cody newberry um cody tell me uh why are the uh the dodgers your favorite uh team oh um i've got a new hat uh <laughs> this one you're gonna get galactic pink eye i'm guaranteeing from that <laughs> about the shit you're um two uh, you just cut out. <laughs> I know my AirPod just dropped. That's insane, crazy. I don't even know where they are. Um, second thing, this doesn't end tonight. So, like, if this um, goes the distance and people get pissed by a certain judgment on it, we're gonna be sitting across a restaurant soon, and Bowman's gonna be like, "Yeah, fucking MCU question. You want you want the fucking fries? Fuck you. Throw them in his face. <laughs> it's gonna be great. I'm excited." Uh, yeah, there's gonna be a lot of yelling, high pitch and low pitch. It's gonna be gross, but I'm glad Robert's here. Robert can live it with us, the new multiplex editor. That's true. Uh, Robert, welcome, multiplex editor extraordinaire. Uh, Robert, how are you doing this evening? What do you think of the match? I'm doing lovely, and it will be a match. And those are the only thoughts that I have on it because I don't know the questions or the answers or anything. I'm coming in blind. That's fair. All right. Before I well, got on this call, I didn't know who the competitors were. So <laughs> that's you were in the green. Room. I didn't look. I <laughs> didn't look. I went into the chat and clicked the streamyard link. That's fair. Uh, all right. So we will first bring in the number five seed, uh, the lower ranked competitor tonight, Mister Caleb Boatman. Uh, Caleb, how are you feeling about debating Tuig? And also, will you throw fries at us if uh, a call doesn't go your way? I'll throw uh, fries at you all if a call does go my way. I don't care. No, that's I'm, motivation. All right. I like some table manners, you savage. <laughs> hey, hey, at least I'm not ordering chicken tendies. Um, I just want to point out that ever like I don't see Robert that often, but every time I see him, he looks a little bit more like the human villain in a Transformers movie. <laughs> <laughs> Like he's about to tell me about why the, why we can use the power of the Decepticons. I am Patrick Dempsey. That's actually true. So take yeah. off mask. Oh my goodness! It's McDreamy. It was McDreamy all along. Jesus, do you have any do you have any thoughts about your competitor or your opponent this evening? Uh, I have. I have made John C. Riley, but a lumberjack joke way too much. So I don't have anything. Lumberjack. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, we will bring in your way opponent. Too much. Man of the Mucha. Your opponent, the number four seed. His name is uh, Nick Tuig. Nick, uh, welcome. Uh, how do you feel about the match this evening? You are wearing a Rocky shirt. Uh, does that mean you are going to uh, punch like Rocky this evening? Oh, well, no, that would be weird because, like, we're talking about movies and stuff. So I'm in a room, like, in a basement very far away from all of you, so I don't know why. I'll I punch like Rocky. It's clobbering time. <laughs> yeah, it was Rocky's catchphrase. 
Uh, I actually haven't heard a John C. Riley joke in a while. It's been a little bit. So I, one would have been welcome, maybe later. It's okay. Uh, and yeah, no, I'm excited. Bowman's really good. He almost, I thought he did beat Cody uh, when I was judging, but Cody's not very good at this. So I guess that doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. So cool. I'm in nice. favor of early. All right. Well, uh, this is how the show is going to work, guys. Uh, we have four categories that the competitors drafted. We gave them some questions <laughs> for <laughs> the categories. Uh, they're going to debate those questions. Each player will get a one-minute opening, a uh, five-minute free form that they will be both be debating back and forth, one-minute closing for each player as well. The first player to three points is the winner. If we are tied after the four uh, prepped rounds, we will go to a bonus question Ooh, what could it be? Uh, so, are there any questions from the competitors as we get into it? No. All right. Well, let's fight. Maybe. All right, guys, your uh, first question is going to come in the category of sports movies. And the question is, what is the best moment in a non-fandom sports movie? Uh, so this was drafted by Mr. Tuig, so he'll get to go first. Tuig, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking, and I will come in and give you a 10-second warning. Rocky's not in fandom anymore. Um, so, the the greatest, um, honestly, fandom included, I think this is the greatest moment in any sports movie. Uh, mostly because of the buildup, because of um, what happens around it. I'll just use my opening to explain the moment to you. So, the moment I picked is when Adonis Creed first knocks down um, Victor Drago in Creed II. Um, You know, Adonis has been knocked down. After he won the fight by disqualification, but he got his butt beat, he's really at like his lowest point. Uh, and in the match, uh, when this moment sort of happens, his ribs are broken. He's literally got one hand uh, to fight and he's on the mat. Uh, and he just has, it, it goes silent around him. He has uh, his girlfriend yelling at him uh, or uh, telling him to do better. He starts pounding the mat. He gets up, fights Victor, who is this dominant force with one hand, uh, and then knocks him down for the first time. And then the Rocky theme plays, and they've been they had been holding it in the Creed franchise, and it's just it's the greatest moment in any sports movie. Time. All right, Boatman, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, yeah, uh, I picked a little bit less of a flashy pick. Uh, I picked so uh, the film. I picked a scene from the film He Got Game, and uh, He Got Game. Uh, the main premise is Denzel Washington's character Jake Shuttlesworth has to convince his son, who he's been estranged from, to go to a specific university or uh, so that Jake can be released from prison. And basically, there's been all this tension throughout the movie. And basically, the way Jake gets Jesus to decide is, I will play you in a one-on-one -on -one match. If I win, you have to go to this university. If I don't, you go wherever you want. So there is so much emotional tension, and this actual moment is great. It's filmed 
very naturally, Denzel and Ray Allen are actually the ones playing basketball. And Spike Lee just said, play. That moment is brilliant. Time. All right. Creed 2. He got game. Five minutes of free form. Don't talk over each other or I'll come in and hit you with a stick. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. Um, so, first, and you can answer this uh, after, but, like, I, I want to know, like, what the moment is. You picked sort of, like, a three- to four-minute scene, uh, which is good. I didn't hate He Got Game. I actually watched it for the first it, it wasn't It wasn't a bad movie. Um, I just think when we're talking about the greatest moment in any sports film, uh, yes, you picked a less flashy moment, but I think it should kind of involve sport. Like, sports should be a good uh, aspect of the moment. And literally, the apex of boxing, of how boxing is shown. It's one, I, I think boxing movies work so well because they are filmed so well. Like it said, it's such a good story between the underdog in Michael B. Jordan, even though he is the champion, he's clearly the underdog. Uh, and boxing is filmed in that good of way. I think the the moment in He Got Game is more focused on like the scene of him talking. And to me, while that's a good scene and it's a, it's a touching enough moment, uh, I think it should be more focused on the sports. So I'm talking about the actual game. I'm not talking okay. about the them talking. I'm talking about the actual game. That's what I mean by the moment. Okay. And that moment is done incredibly naturally. In the script, it was supposed to be Jesus beats Jake 11 to 1. And Spike Lee said, no, we're not going to do that. Denzel, Ray, just play. And okay. it's one of the most natural, like... Everything that you are seeing is incredibly realistic. To kind of respond to, to your point, I think at that point, yours, I, they're both coming from the sports, but I just think at this point, we've seen Adonis's more powerful victory in Creed emotionally. I don't think yours emotionally carries the weight. It's kind of a cool thing that is happening, but I don't think my moment has the weight of the entire movie behind it. So I strongly just I strongly disagree that his more challenging emotional victories in Creed. It's definitely this one in Creed too, because and you know it from the scene when he's talking to his mother, when he's talking to Marianne, and she said, "Like, don't pretend this is about me, and don't pretend this is about your father." This is Adonis's toughest struggle. He's gotten the championship. It's Rocky and Rocky three. It's it's once you have the champion. Once you have the championship, like what, what is it worth to you to hold it? And he's already gone through the physical beating of like his kidneys don't even work anymore. He's gone through that in the movie. So yours might be the emotional weight of the whole uh, movie. He got game. Whereas my moment is the emotional weight of a seven, eight movie franchise. Uh, oh, and, it does that. And, and it, so it, it also has a father son. They do a great job at making a father son relationship between a father and a son that never even met. Go ahead. Yeah, well, let's talk about the weight of the whole franchise because at the end of the day, your moment is ultimately, I think, one of a franchise that has, in my opinion, significantly better moments. I think some, like, some of the training montages, some of the fights from the first Rockies, like, I think there's a cavalcade of moments from the Rocky franchise that I think are more memorable, more famous. I think your moment feels very personal and awesome to you, and that is great. I think, to me, I don't think that that moment has the impact in general at large. To go back to the to the He Got Game moment, mm -hmm. that, that game itself, because we haven't really talked about that, it's much closer than it should be. 
and that, an eleven to five is not very close. And to watch to watch I'm Ray saying, Allen, who's a professional basketball player, beat up on an old man, Denzel. Like, I, I'm sorry, I didn't like it. Like, I've played basketball. I get that it's like a natural thing. I didn't know that when watching the movie. I didn't know like if I have to know that Spike Lee said just play to make it a great moment to me. That's not a great moment if I need that information outside the film. It's a very average match, and then Denzel gets tired, and Ray Allen beats him. So like. As far as sports movie moments go, I really don't think it's that good. I mean, yes, if you are watching, if you are watching it from the back One way, if you are watching it from the back way perspective of with isolated from the movie and just it's a kid and his dad playing basketball, it's not necessarily the closest game you will ever see. But I'm not talking about. We are not talking about the best sports showdown. We are not talking about what is the most qualifying match. Because I don't think your match, your moment is particularly competitive because in that moment, Drago's getting beaten down in that moment. Uh, Whereas I think it's about the acting. It is about all the little things that happen in that moment that reflect the emotionality of the character because there is so much of a war going on emotionally. That is a war of emotions being played out through basketball. But you even just said that Spike Lee told them to not act and to just play. It's just a street game that Denzel loses. My moment is so emotionally packed. It's the turning of the tide. Victor's been beating him up the whole time, and it's very nostalgic. Time. All right, uh, Boatman, you get to close your argument first one minute when you start talking. There is a difference between Spike Lee saying, play the match out, and him saying not act. He didn't say don't act. He said, play the match out. And that is different. They are still acting. There is still so much behind what they are doing. It is just more improvisational acting, but they are absolutely within those characters and every moment within that reflects what those characters are thinking. It is just an unpredictable outcome because ultimately they it is it feels very realistic, but it, just the way it is shot. But apart from that, it just feels so tight emotionally. Like, when uh, Ray, when Denzel gets those baskets and Ray is legitimately getting mad, it's great. I also think, uh, the, again, the Creed moment, I think that it is Creed beating down on Victor in that moment, which is great. But we've seen Adonis have his symbolic victory. All Time. Time. All right. Nick, you now have one minute to close when you start talking. Bowman keeps talking about how the the moment in his movie is great because it's natural and it plays, but the fact that it's natural makes it not a great moment. It's Ray Allen versus Denzel Washington in basketball. I wonder who's going to win. It's really not that unpredictable. Denzel Washington gets very tired and, and falls out by the end. So if the game is the moment, I'm sorry, it's not a good game. There's better games in the movie. Like when, when Ray Allen's character is a younger kid, I think those are better, more meaningful emotional moments in that one movie. Bowman said that my moment isn't even the best in the Rocky franchise. I completely disagree. This is Adonis's moment to overcome the desire to, to prove it. He avenges his father's death to overcome the desire to be his father. He becomes his own person. He defends the title. That's just as hard as winning it. If not even harder, he's not beating down on Drago. Adonis has been getting his butt kicked. He's on the ground. Everyone's yelling for him to get up and he comes back with one arm because his rims ribs are bruised and he's able to knock Drago down. He's yes. He beats him down in that moment, but, he, but it's because it's a great fight. Everything about sports is nostalgia. The, all the nostalgia of the Rocky franchise comes in this moment. That's why we love sports. Time. All righty. Bring in those.
bring myself out. I'm a crazy person. Okay. Um, I'm all over the place. All right. I will start. Uh, I'm giving my point to Nick. I thought it was actually really close during the free form, but Nick's closing kind of did it for me. Um, I thought Boatman's closing was a little weak. He focused too much on uh, refuting a hit Nick's last point and didn't have a lot to say about Creed. And I thought Nick's closing was really, really strong. So I give mine to Nick. Cody. Um, so I went the same way I went with Nick. Um, the reason why, um, as much as I love, uh, he got game. I think uh, Nick was able to tackle the question of sports moment more. I think overall moment, like father-son moment, fine. But when it came down to sports moment, I think he was able to take down he got game to a certain level and uh, uh, highlight why his was so impressive. So it was close. All right. All right, Nick gets the first point. Robert, your vote doesn't count. Where would you have gone? I also would have said Nick. Uh, I think it was close until the end. I think Boatman was just a little bit too repetitive. Uh, I did like his argument, the earnestness of the moment and the emotional weight of the movie, uh, but I agree. I just think Nick did a, a better job of talking about why it's sort of a, a big you raw raw swelling, you know, what you want to see out of sports movie moments. All right. Well, we're going to move on to question number two. Uh, this is in the category of Disney animation. This was drafted by Mr. Boatman. And the question is, what pre-1970s Disney animated film has the best songs? Uh, so, Boatman, you drafted this. You get to go first. Uh, you have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. Yeah. Uh, I picked uh, the 1951 film Alice in Wonderland. I think this film has the highest quantity of great songs. You have the unbirthday song. You have a lot of great little melodies uh, from uh, All in the Golden Afternoon to uh, the a lot of the stuff with the Queen, like the Painting of Roses Red. And I think you have you have the Caucus Race, and you have um, I think Alice's little song is great. All in a world of my own. Uh, I just think there's a lot of like great little songs. Oh, don't forget the Walrus and the Carpenter is a full song, and that moment is great, and that like song is great. Now, now the time has come to talk of other things, of battleships and sealing wax and cabbages and kings. Uh, I just think that whole soundtrack is just banger after banger after banger, and it does not stop. Time. All right. Nick, you now have one minute to open your argument when you start talking. The straight question here is quantity versus quality. That's why uh, I picked The Jungle Book. Uh, clearly has the better quality songs. It doesn't have the mile-long list of songs in Alice in Wonderland. I'm sorry, it's not banger after banger after banger. It's all the same type of song. Uh, and it get like I, I'm not even going to be able to tell you all the names because they're all so so similar. They all use violin orchestral music. Like literally, um, every song starts with a long violin note, and then it starts with like a Snow White esque person singing. Uh, if, if even that, if it's not that, it's just a character in the movie basically talking their way through the song. Their so the songs might be okay, like in the context of the movie, but even but outside of it, they become terrible. And inside of it, it's basically just a score. It's, it's one continuous score that all sounds the same throughout Alice in Wonderland and the songs sound good or, or the songs don't sound or the people singing don't sound good. The Jungle Book, you have the Bare Necessities. You have uh, I Want to Be Like You. You have uh, the, the Snake Song. You have 
you have, and then you have a lot of hidden gems within the Jungle Book Time. that we don't know about. All right, Jungle Book versus Alice in Wonderland. Five minutes when one of you starts talking. All right, just to start off uh, out of the gate, you are incorrect about your uh, statement about the violin. There are plenty of songs that do not start on birthday starts with tea kettle whistles. That is literally musically. That song is super brilliant. Basically making the orchestra sound like it is just being played from the tea kettles. I think that song itself is just brilliant. I think that you are absolutely dismissing a lot of the great little songs. I think everybody knows we're painting the roses red. Like I, I think really your descriptions were really incorrect. Like it doesn't all start with violin and make them sound much slower than they actually are. I disagree. To go on to Jungle Book a second, I think that ultimately Jungle Book has two good songs. Has two good songs. And even then, I think Bare Necessities is overrated. I think, and ultimately your songs do not fit the tone of your movie at all. They're going for this weird jazzy, like I would be like you was weird and jazzy, which does not fit that movie at all. And ultimately, the Pachyderm song sucks. That song sucks. I, We're Your Friends is one of the worst Disney songs. Um, no. Uh, so since you said mine has two good songs, yours has no good songs. There's not a single person who knows We're Painting the Roses Red or anything in Alice in Wonderland. I didn't say all of the songs. I said 95% of the songs. Or if I didn't, I meant to. 95% of the songs start with the same orchestral music from Fantasia. It's just ripping off classic composers like Mozart and Bach and Beethoven and then having characters talk over them. Yes, there's a tea kettle uh, whistle song. Some of them start off like, like they're like little marches from Dumbo. It's all rehashed stuff from stuff that came before it. At least the Jungle Book has not only different stuff, but yes, it has a swing vibe. What do you mean that doesn't? King Louis is like the king of swing. What are you talking about? Um, I Want to Be Like You is great. Uh, the Bare Necessities is great. I agree. Those are the two best songs. You also have a really cool march in there uh, in the style of a march. You have a beautiful ballad, which is the theme of the Jungle Book. And you have, uh, like, there's this cool uh, barbershop quartet tune and the four people who sing it uh, have incredible voices. So at least you have variety in the Jungle Book. Uh, all in Alice in Wonderland, you have 25, 30 songs that all sound the same. Some are 20 seconds long, and it's just the white hair saying, I'm late, I'm late. That's not a good song. They don't all sound the same. You are describing so many songs as, like, one thing. And then you're giving – you're saying, oh, they all sound the same, but you're giving lists. Some are little marches. Some are softer ballads. Some are like this. about the jungle. You yourself are refuting that – let me finish. You yourself are refuting that argument. So I disagree with that completely because you have just contradicted yourself. No, also, I trying to go back to your the the barbershop quartet. It's called "We're Your Friends," by the way. That okay, song. I'm not going to remember every song. Can you let I I did not because no, you're saying shit that I didn't say. Keep going. I did not interrupt you. Um, we "We're Your Friends" is legitimately one of the worst Disney songs. That's the Vulture song, um, and that's the barbershop quartet style song. And that song legitimately. It's supposed to be this more upbeat song within the context of the movie, but it just sounds really miserable. The singers sound like they are not having fun at all. Away, your friends. Like, it just, that one doesn't work. Like, you're in, also criticizing the marches from my movie. Jungle Book's march is not good at all. And the more march-sounding songs like Caucus Race uh, is way more fun and upbeat as opposed to the, the Pachyderm marching song. 
Okay, so I did not contradict myself because I said all of your songs sound the same, and then I said that mine has marches and ballads and different types of songs. So no, I did not contradict myself. I said mine has variety, and yours all sounds the same. And it's rehashed stuff from Cinderella, from Bambi, from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's all similar stuff. It does not work at all outside the context of the movie. Half the song, half the songs of your your mile long list like i said are 20 seconds long and it's just the white hair going i'm late the mad hatter being like it's time for tea those aren't songs those are just moments in the movie that use a score that is very similar to every disney movie that came before it. you just described them as songs and then you said they aren't songs so pick one lane please um but also if we are so either they're songs or they aren't um but also Again, you did actually say you've got you did describe some of my songs as marches and you did describe some of my songs as that and you did so that that is incorrect. You did. Um, but also back to I think to your you keep hitting the point of it sounds like stuff from other movies. No, it doesn't. Hey, where, what song sounds like Dumbo? What what song sounds like Dumbo? The song from Oh, I don't know the names of all the songs because there's 25 of them, but the, the Bambi has the same Bambi has the same orchestral introduction as every as ninety five percent of the songs. Time, you shall not pass the time. Okay, uh, this was Boatman. So Nick, you get to close first. One minute when you start talking. Jungle Book has about eight songs. They're all really good. There might be one hit or miss in there. Uh, the snake one. Is an underrated. It's really good. Like people don't like it, but the one that the snake sings is actually really good. A E I O U is a song from Alice in Wonderland that it sounds super weird, super out of place. And guess what? It starts with the same orchestral introduction. They all have the same background. Boatman can just sit here and say that it's not. But if the judges haven't heard the songs, they're gonna believe whoever they want. Every background in every song in Alice in Wonderland sounds the same. Some are twenty seconds long. Some sound terrible some are just scores with people talking over them they're not good songs in the movie and they're terrible songs outside of the movie when you say jungle book people say oh i love the bare necessities people say i love i want to be like you because they're upbeat swing songs that do fit the context of the movie and they're great outside of the movie they're good jazzy tunes they were a shake-up for disney when the jungle book came out so they weren't just copying everything that came before it like alice in wonderland and making it mediocre like alice in wonderland it actually has good songs a good variety it has a beautiful ballad and a nice march time all right boatman you now have one minute when you start talking twig is saying i'm just saying things twig is saying that the songs from alice in wonderland sound like other disney movies but he can't pinpoint a song that sounds like another song he's just saying oh well this sounds like another disney movie well you're not pinpointing what actually sounds like it you're just saying it's a ripoff and you're not giving me any specifics because you don't actually because you know i can refute the specifics because they don't actually sound the same Ultimately, I think that the songs from Jungle Book take Bare Necessities, which I actually think is a little overrated. I think that it kind of actually brings down the movie. Uh, Want to be like you. It The jazziness does not fit the tone of that movie at all. That is a very, read the rich Rudyard Kipling, Kipling book, read everything. Like that is not what fits that tone of that movie at all and all my songs fit the tone of their movie they are all completely different you have the unbirthday song which is very happy and upbeat you have the more ballads of world of my own you have we're painting the roses red you have a cavalcade of songs that reflects the zanian time all right i will try not to take myself out on accident this time we're all in the uh, same row how do you do it what 
Like it's only five. Like it's. The- I don't know why that happened last time. Um, are you guys um, good? Yeah, I'm well, good. Mad playing we're, on the whiteboard. We're gonna start. This is gonna start wars, and I love I it. Know. This was a great. This is a great debate, guys. Good job. Uh, good thing we have a meeting right after this. No, <laughs> Robert, Robert, you your vote didn't count last time, so you can go first. All right. So the question was, what pre whatever has the best songs, right? Yes. Okay. So they both argued like similar things of how they work in the context of the movie, um, but songs also like can exist outside of the context of the movie, and I really liked that argument from Nick. Uh, so I, I ended up going with Nick. I think, well, there we go. Uh, I, I do think it was really, really close. Uh, I liked, it, it was a lot of, oh, you're saying this, but you can't prove it. And it was, you're saying that it's not, but you can't prove that it's not. It was uh, just, a lot of that was a wash for me. Um, so it came down to the arguing the specifics of the songs. And I thought that Nick saying that outside of the context of the movie, the Alice in Wonderland songs don't really hold up. I thought that was a pretty strong argument that Kill wasn't able to deflect so much. Hmm. Interesting. I'll go next. I went with Caleb. Uh, I actually, Caleb's arguments, uh, I, I thought that he was able to refute pretty much everything that Nick had said. I thought Nick's argument was uh, was very good, but also I just thought that Caleb was able to talk about why his songs weren't what Nick was saying they were, and I thought that Nick didn't really have a good comeback as to why when Boatman's whole point of uh, they don't fit the like the tone of the movie or whatever, I didn't really think Nick's argument against that was very strong. So I went with Boatman. Cody, it's up to you. Where are you going? It's a lot of fun. I'm having a great time. Uh, uh, so this is this is a very semantics battle. Like one doesn't play good outside the car, like outside the movie. One is your movie sound a little similar? The other person's like, absolutely not. You're wrong. Boatman misheard Nick at one point. He still, I think, dies to this day that he didn't over. I've been there. Don't worry. Um, but I went with Boatman. And the reason why I went with Boatman, it was very close for me. But the reason why I went with Boatman is because I think at the very end, I leaned to the side where it sounded like classic composers. It sounded like this. It sounded like that. I knew Nick didn't know the songs, but he didn't give me any specifics to the thing. And I think that would have like locked it up for me a little bit closer. The moment was able to drive it home, but it was a super close. And I think, and I hate Alice in the Wonderland. So. Yeah. That movie's trash. Um, that's one of the worst Disney animated movies. Hot garbage. Uh, okay. It's so. hard to know all the songs. If you were in Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> That's fair. Um, okay, so we are all tied up one to one as we get into the next question, which was drafted by that Mr. One Nicholas. Woke me up. That one woke me up. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the next question is in the category of the MCU. And the question is uh, who is the worst MCU side character? Uh, I'm very excited for this one. I don't know if you guys know this, but I've seen all the MCU movies, so I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, so <laughs> I know Cody, right? <laughs> uh, so Nick, you drafted this. You get to go first. You have one minute to open when you start talking. Uh, oh, and sorry, before you start, this is just movies, Nick, not TV. I was just about to say WandaVision sucks. Oh, okay. That wasn't related to my argument, but I just wanted everyone to know that I don't like WandaVision. Uh, okay. Ian... Boothby. You know him? No? Cool. He sucks. Uh, He's by far the worst MCU side character with a bullet. 
because if we're being honest, Kat Dennings uh, as Darcy is kind of a bad side character already, probably in the bottom three. And then you gave her a side character in Thor The Dark World. You gave the intern an intern. It was supposed to be this funny joke, but it really just doubled down on a thing that nobody liked already. You forced a romance between Ian and Darcy at the end that just made everyone go, what are you doing? Why are you wasting our time with this pitiful person uh, who who is not special, who is nothing, who does nothing for the movie, who suddenly like has this is supposed to have this weird, awkward, like father son relationship with Selvig because he kind of likes Darcy. But that doesn't even come across. Ian is by far the worst, most useless character uh, in the MCU. Why do interns have interns? They don't. That's Time. your. Answer. All right. Uh, Boatman, you know, have one minute when you start talking. I picked Mantis from Guardians too, and subsequent films after. Mantis is so annoying. I I should know. I'm annoying. And Mantis makes me look tolerable. Mantis is what is a character who not only actively makes her movie worse because she she has some of the most cringe comedy moments in that film. She also is part of what ruins the spectacular character of Drax. Drax is one of the best characters of the first Guardians film, and Drax's interactions with Mantis absolutely ruin that character. And it's one of the worst things about Guardians 2, that whole moment where it's like, you're ugly. That is one of the dumbest moments in a Guardians movie, in an MCU movie. Mantis is awful. She makes her, she is bad and she makes her movie worse. All right. Mantis versus Ian. Five minutes. One of you starts talking. (laughs) I don't want to break your heart, Boatman, but Drax is not a good character. Those moments are bad because Drax makes them bad also. In fact, he's worse than Mantis. Mantis is probably the better half of that pairing weird pairing in general i'm not going to argue that mantis is like the greatest character ever she is a little annoying but she's miles better than ian who is just this nothing of a person mantis at least has powers mantis has taken on ego and thanos when you think about that that automatically bumps her up as like kind of cool and she fits in the guardians perfectly because she's basically this like homeschooled kid who has never had any interaction with anyone around them which is the perfect misfit to put in the guardians Okay, in terms of you are bring, first to, to take down your, your Thanos ego point, I think that is ultimately, that's just backstory written for that character. That's not necessarily things that make that character better because I'm talking about in action of the character. Mantis is absolutely, you, I think you are making the argument that wor- you are confusing worse with y- less useful. Mantis maybe has a purpose, but she actively is more annoying and brings her film down, whereas Ian Boothby is a meh character in a meh movie. There is, if you take Ian Boothby out of Thor The Dark World, that movie still has ultimate problems. You, and his character, the character Ian Boothby makes worse is Darcy. That No one really liked Darcy until WandaVision, because WandaVision actually did something with her. Drax is absolutely one of the most beloved characters from the first Guardians movie. He has some of the most fun moments Why would I put my finger on his throat? I think Drax is hilarious in the first Guardians movie, and his interactions with Mantis absolutely bring that movie down. Uh, I like him in the first one. He's not the greatest Guardian by far. There are four that I think are better than him. 
Uh, but I do like all the Guardians in general. I'm sorry, they ruined Drax as a character. It's not Mantis that ruins Drax. They don't even have Drax fight anyone in the second one. That's what ruins Drax. Mantis is the better half. You say she has no funny moments. I think the ugly line's kind of funny. I'm learning that I'm a pet and ugly. It, it's it's because she hasn't had interaction with any other being in the universe. It makes sense. And why wouldn't the backstory of the character factor into if they're the worst character or not? I think it absolutely does. The fact that she has these powers and can actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Thanos is this odd out-of-left-field thing that actually really is cool and works and makes her this useful person on the team. I think useful can be a good character trait. I think unuseful, like Ian, makes them a bad character. The fact of the matter is, yes, Thor The Dark World would be bad without Ian. Ian's the worst part of it. To be the worst part of a bad movie, I think is a lot worse than being a mad part of a mad movie, which is Guardians Volume 2 and Nantis, who I think is better than Drax. And, and like, the oh, let's use Knives. She has better moments. They brought her back because she's a better character. Ian, we're never going to see that dude again. He sucked. Malekith is the worst part of Thor the Dark World. Anyway, they didn't bring Ian Bath because no one liked Thor the Dark World to begin with. Anyway, Mantis absolutely has some of the most cringe comedy moments ever. I think the Knives moment, maybe we just have different senses of humor. I don't think so. I think it's also part of the way Palm Clementine plays that character. I think she plays that character is very over the top and annoying, and I don't think it works. And I think that fits part of the tone within the movie. I think. Ultimately, that character just feels very, hey, look at me. I am very funny. I am very funny. Look at me. And I think all of her moments, that is why Guardians 2 doesn't work as a movie, is all the, hey, look at me. This is very funny. That ultimately don't work. And Boothby, I think, is it actually brings some comic relief to a very meh movie and a very bland i mean met as in bland and dark and grimy i think ian boothby actually brings some levity ultimately it's something different that he brings to the table whereas you have a movie that is already look at me look at me i'm very funny and a character that is the worst version of that so i think you're underselling mantis's other traits like she's not just like a try and make a joke every two seconds she also has really touching moments tracks where they're sitting by the pond and he's thinking about his family and she's able to emotionally relate to him that's actually a really touching scene the fact that she turns on ego and comes and tries to tell drax who kind of ruins that drax ruins that moment by being like oh i was thinking about being with you physically drax ruins that not mantis mantis is the one who's like no like you guys are actually in danger i'm starting to feel for you guys she fits with the Guardians. I think Palm Clementine plays it perfectly. How else would a person who has never interacted with anyone else, has lived on a planet alone as a flea, basically, how else would they act? That's exactly how they would act. I think it works really well. I think she fits in with the Guardians, who are misfits. She's a misfit who fits with the misfits. Ian Boothby is nothing. He's the intern's interns. He's the side character to the side character that is annoying, provides zero comic relief in an unfunny movie. I think ultimately the Ian Boothby stuff is comic relief in a movie that somewhat works. I, I mean, in a comic relief that somewhat works in a movie that necessarily doesn't. I think it's a different thing for that movie. Time. All right. Um, Boatman, you get to close your argument. You have one minute when you start talking. To Since I didn't really get to respond to, to explain, uh, to answer your question about how else would... I don't think that is how someone who would, is in that situation. Like, I don't think that would be necessarily off the wall, look at me, I'm trying to be funny. I think it would be more naturalistic comedy moments. And I think that's a problem. The difference between Guardians 1 and Guardians 2 is that the comedy moments in Guardians 2 feel much less naturalistic. Let's take Ian Boothby and let's take Mantis. What happens if you hit the delete button and get rid of Ian Boothby from Thor the Dark World? 
Still probably one of the worst, if not the worst MCU movie. Still, That movie still has a myriad of problems. And ultimately, I think that movie is just more bland, actually, because there's not some attempts at comic relief. What happens if you remove Mantis from the Guardians 2? I think that movie gets significantly better because you don't make Drax cringy. Ultimately, I think there's more levity, brevity. I Time. think that movie's great. All right, Nick, you now have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. Getting rid of Ian does make The Dark World better. It doesn't make it a great movie, but it does make it better. All of his attempts at comedy, which you haven't named one, by the way, fail. They fail miserably. They double down on a thing that nobody liked from the first Thor movie, which was Darcy. They double down and made a Darcy 2.0 in the fact that he's her intern. He makes zero sense. He's not funny. The weird kiss at the end just makes it awful. It's why they haven't brought Ian back. Mantis has purpose. Mantis has more than just jokes. She has a couple funny jokes too. She says like kick names, take ass. That's a funny moment in Avengers Infinity War. She has those moments, but she also has the heartfelt moments that you're not touching on. She has that heartfelt moment with Drax. She has that moment with the team where she decides to turn on Ego. And the fact is she becomes a powerful, useful member of the team. In the MCU, usefulness is a good thing. It makes you a good character. It, ha it helps you to save the world. It helps you to save and, and fight for, for the good of people. Mantis is exactly how she was supposed to be. And the fact of the matter is the Guardians of the Galaxy are a band of misfits. And she is just one more misfit who fits right in. Time. Oh, boy. I'm having fun. <laughs> this is this is good, guys. Holy shit! Um, I don't like that somebody played to my emotions. By the way, so there was a play to my emotions, and I don't appreciate it. Are you guys good? That's how objective I am. Yeah, I'm good. All right, Cody, you get to start because you're uh, you decided last time. So. Guardians of the Volume Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is not a mad movie. It's a pile of shit that steams. Okay? But I'm going with Nick. Because overall, I understand the useful comment. And I understand why that could not be like the most uh the take. But this is a this is a debate that's turning into not what you said, but what you didn't say. And said a lot of comedy moments, a lot of said that adds a lot of moments, but you couldn't get anything from Boatman to clarify why that character is important. The only reason we know it's a comedy element, the attempts, is because Nick said it, which doesn't help Boatman's case in that thing. And the usefulness, I think, does play a factor. I know it's not the ideal of the question, but was able to use past that movie. So, yep. All right, Robert, you go next. I uh, drew a boat. Uh, I think Caleb actually did a pretty good job of saying why just because she has powers that doesn't instantly make her a good character. Uh, I actually probably like Guardians 2 more than everybody else here, but uh, maybe except maybe 10. Uh, but no. I, I, I do agree that like she brings that movie down a lot and taints the rest of the Guardians a little bit and that, that humor like ruins something that was really, really special in the first thing, which I thought Caleb touched on really, really well, that not just Drax, but the whole crew was really tight-knit and beloved and uh, adding someone else with that sort of demeanor into that kind of throws it off in not a very good way. And I thought Boatman did a really, really good job of deflecting why just because she is capable doesn't instantly make her a good character. Uh, if you remove him breaking down, if you remove both of them, I thought that was a really, really strong argument too. All right. 
Uh, I'll decide this one then. I actually like agree with both of you, <laughs> weirdly enough. Um, I think what kind of did it for me was uh, two Higgs closing. I wrote two Hig. Um, I think that uh, two Higgs whole thing about, like Cody said, the usefulness and all the things even within Guardians 2, which was what we mainly talked about, that she does beyond the... Um, somewhat annoying moments i think worked um so yeah no i give it to twig so he goes up one point it is now two to one in favor of twig as we go into the final prep question cody you look confused you okay no i just forgot what the question was so okay so now the final prep question was drafted by mr boatman it's in the category of comedy uh, the question is, what is the best 1960s comedy? Uh, Boatman, you drafted this, so you get to go first. One minute to open your argument when you start talking. Uh, I think the best comedy of the 1960s is both one of the best films of the 1960s and one of the funniest. I picked 1968's The Odd Couple, starring Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau. On top, you have the first ever, or one of the first ever times that Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau worked on worked off with each other. And ultimately, I think this is their best job working off each other. You have Jack Lemmon playing Felix, the neurotic, nervous, obsessive homemaker. And then you have uh, Matthau playing Oscar, the, the slobbish uh, guy who can be a bit of a jerk, but he cares about his best friend, Felix. Ultimately, being for because of Felix's situation, being forced to to live together for a while, that brings to just some of the funniest moments in a movie you will ever see. You leave little notes on my pillow. You said, "What well, we need cornflakes." F you. Took me three hours to realize F you was Felix Unger. Time. All right, uh, Nick. You now have one minute when you start talking. I'm going to upset a lot of people here. I freaking hated The Odd Couple. I'm so sorry. I, I watched the whole thing. I didn't laugh one time. I thought it was a very bad movie, and here's why. Um, it's a concept that is meant to be a TV show. That's why it was made into a TV show, and that's why most sitcoms have adopted the concept since. Literally, you think of The Big Bang Theory. You think of Friends. You think of Two Broke Girls. You think of Sam and Cat from Nickelodeon. They are all adaptations of the concept of The Odd Couple, which was a play first, because it doesn't work as a movie. The entire movie of The Odd Couple feels like an hour and 45-minute long episode that should have been 30 minutes. Uh, I didn't laugh once. Sorry, Dr. Strangelove, or How I Learned uh, Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb, uh, I think is actually a really good, funny movie from the 1960s that I think still holds up today because it's about uh, a concept that is unique to the, to the 1960s, and it plays with it in a way that creates for good comedy. When you take such a serious situation like Nuclear Holocaust and make jokes out of it and make it work, that's Time. impressive. All right. Five minutes freeform when one of you starts talking. The big problem with picking Dr. Strangelove here is that Dr. Strangelove is not funny for the first hour. That's the biggest problem. You have a comedy that is not funny for the first hour. Intentionally not funny, as to build up the absurdity, but ultimately intentionally not funny for the first hour, and that is a problem. Kubrick himself will tell you the first hour is not funny, and that is the problem. Ultimately, I'm completely surprised you didn't like The Odd Couple. I think that to pick on your TV show point, 
ultimately, I think that helps my argument. It's been this format is so perfect as a comedy that it has been turned into longer formats of a TV show, which is longer than an hour and 45 minute movie. Ultimately, I think Odd Couple, you have Jack Lemon just being absolutely hilarious. That is not a spoon. That is a ladle. I think the way he delivers a lot of those lines makes it very brilliant. You have Walter Matthau probably, maybe in my opinion, giving the best performance of his career. I think Matthau is perfect at portraying both the the desperation and the comedy in this. Um, luckily, uh, Doctor Strangelove gets funny. Uh, the Odd Couple never gets funny. Um, I didn't say, I, I said it, it's a 30-minute episode. The Odd Couple, the movie, should be a 30-minute episode of a TV show. Do you want to know why? Because it ruins every joke because it takes 10 minutes to get to it. When they're sitting with the girls, and we, we all know it's coming, like he's going to blow it and start crying, it takes forever. And by the time it finally happens, it doesn't work. Walter Matthau ruins every joke he tells because he laughs at it himself. You want to know the number one way to ruin a joke? Laugh at it after you're done telling it. It's it's terrible. Um, the the crew doesn't work. There's so much dead air that anytime they finally get to a mediocre punchline, it just doesn't work. You can say names of actors. You can say the director thought this. It doesn't matter. It's not funny. I laughed more when I saw that the character's right. name is Jack D. Ripper than I did throughout the entire the entirety of The Odd Couple. Okay, for one, your, your statement about Matthew laughing after everything he says is just incorrect. I think one of the best moments in the movie is his desperation uh, plea to Felix when he is basically having a breakdown, being like, you're my friend, but I can't do this anymore, which is where you get the great F. It took me three hours to realize F. He was Felix Lunger. Just his breakdown emotionally is brilliant and funny, but he's not laughing at it. He's playing it straight in that moment, but that's what makes it funny. Again, you admitted yourself that the first hour of Dr. Strange no, was not funny. You did. You said Dr. Strange gets funny. I said you, you may have said yourself. that. You admitted yourself. You know, you said that. You. I just you, said Jack D. Ripper was hilarious. That's in the first second of the movie. Boom. Keep going. I'm saying your original point. You backtracked. You backpedaled. You pulled the boatman. Um, but again... You're saying you I was repeating what you said. Now keep going. Anyway, I think ultimately you're getting you also to your point about the thing. There are a lot of little jokes within the British girl state. Yes, the ultimate punchline of that scene is Felix breaking down, but there are little moments within that that work. Uh, him going to the kitchen, him obsessing over the turkey in the oven. I think there are so many great moments within that. Dr. Strangelove, because I haven't really gotten to hit on that more than my first statement. I, I ultimately think Peter Sellers, as the British guy, actually feels very weak. I think him as the British colonel does not work at all. And I it feels very out of place within that movie, actually, because I don't think Peter Sellers knows what he's doing with that character. I thought he was way. I thought that was one of his funniest characters, honestly. Uh, when he's sitting there with the guy who's revealing that the reason he started the basically started the nuclear war is because he had sex one night and arrived too early, and he thought the Russians were trying to sabotage his body fluids. That's hysterical. The funny one moment minute. where the Russian ambassador comes in and he tries to pretend that um, the uh, the other guy planted a camera on him. There are so many funny movements or so many funny moments when the president, when Peter Sellers as the president is having the conversation with Dimitri and he's basically talking to like a girlfriend who's like mad at him, but they're talking about nuclear war. It's so funny and it works then and it works today. The odd couple 
did not work then. It's been done better hundreds of, literally hundreds of times as a different medium in a TV show because that's what it's supposed to be. The Odd Couple is literally just an extended 30-minute pilot episode of a TV show that ruins every joke because it takes forever to get to them. Your biggest punch against The Odd Couple is that people liked it enough to rip it off. Like, that's what you're saying is that people thought that this was good enough to rip off and steal, that it has been done to death. That is not the fault of The Odd Couple that people thought that this was a brilliant premise and they decided to rip it off. That is not the fault of The Odd Couple for being a hilarious movie. I thought it was a good one of the funniest moments. He's too nervous to kill himself. All right, Nick, uh, you have one minute to close when you start talking. I'm sorry. I know people like The Odd Couple. I'm sorry. It sucked. The reason it's a good concept, which is what I said, in a bad medium. It shouldn't be a movie. It's so stretched out. The reason it's been done as a show hundreds of times since then is because it works as a show. Because they saw that the movie didn't work and they knew it would be better as a TV show. There's so many jokes that just miss and they take too long to get to. I'm sorry, Felix and Walter Math, they don't even have that good of chemistry at many times throughout the movie. And you know what pisses me off is when Felix at the end, it's so dated because Felix literally threatens to like kill himself if Walter Matthau like doesn't continue to be his friend. It's not funny at that point in time. And I actually kind of hate it. Dr. Strangelove has so many funny moments. It's a smooth 90 minutes. Every character is funny. Every Peter Sellers is great as every character. My favorite moment is him talking to the guy on the phone. He's like, I'm fine. Are you fine? Listen, uh, we accidentally sent some planes in there. It's hilarious. There's amazing performances throughout. Still funny and unique today. Like the Time. All right. Move over to Boatman. Boatman, you have one minute to close your argument when you start talking. If we want to talk about places where Dr. Strangelove could have been done better since you're talking about Odd Couple being done better, uh, the 1964 film Failsafe, which has the exact same premise, but Dr. Strangelove ripped it off and Kubrick pushed to get Dr. Strangelove released before Failsafe. Anyway, let's also do the math here. What? Let's say a TV show has 24 episodes in one season. Let's say one episode of a 24, 24 30-minute episodes versus an hour and 45 minute movie that is the length of the odd couple and you're saying well the problem is it's too stretched out a sit a sitcom is way more stretched out so that doesn't make any sense ultimately i think jack lemon that is the point of that character that he is so nervous to the point of having a nervous breakdown and Matthau disputes it refutes it by saying he's too nervous to kill himself he wears a seatbelt at a drive-in movie I think ultimately there are so many funny little quips. It's Neil Simon's writing at his finest. It is Gene Sachs directing at his finest. Odd Couple's hilarious. Time. All right. All right, all right, all right. Sorry, Odd Couple fans. Do you actually watch it? Yeah. Nice. I couldn't tell. You're a good bullshitter. You're good at bullshitting things sometimes. Um, oh, man. Okay. Oh, I get to go first, too, Donna. I'm not happy with anybody. Um, okay. I'm going to go with Boatman. Uh, I thought Bowman's closing was very, very strong. I love the closings today, apparently. Um, but good job. Uh, yeah, I thought Bowman's closing was really, really strong. The whole point about um, the 
TV show thing and just like the writing and the performances and everything was really, really strong. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It won it for me. So I give it to Bowman. Cody, you go next. Can I get the question just again one more time just to make sure? Yes, you can. Let me. What is the best uh, 1960s comedy? Yeah, so it was rough all around uh, for me. Uh, I had to check my bias at the door because uh, there's one of those movies that is one of my all-time favorites. Um, what I think was a really strong point at the beginning was it's really hard to pick that movie as a comedy. That's not funny for the first hour. I think Nick did a really good job of rebuttaling. Again, this is a whole argument of like what person said, what they didn't say. This is really awkward middle half. I think the ending was very strong from both. I just think Boatman closed a little bit better for me. And I put Boatman and I put a sad face and I said Nick made me sad. But I think Nick did a really good job. It, comedy is subjective and that is the whole point of comedy. So love debating comedy. <laughs> All right. Uh, Robert, your vote didn't count, but where would you have gone? This one wasn't super close for me. I put Caleb. Uh, I think Nick did a really good job of attacking the Odd Couple, but I didn't hear one thing supporting uh, Doctor Strangelove until there was the minute warning in the middle half. I just think purely from like a, uh, the way that the debate was handled, you know, he spent his whole opening tearing apart odd couple instead of uh, supporting, you know, he, he did get those, the couple of these scenes with the Peter Sellers and stuff. It was just a little bit too little too late for me. I needed to hear that earlier in the, in the argument, just so the, the, the form of debate I think was much stronger from Bowman. All right. So we are going into the bonus question here is how that's going to work. <laughs> uh, we randomized a, uh, section of fan zone fandom war zone and then a category as well kind of a little bit for this one uh but uh so uh we randomized that stuff and then cody and i came up with a question we're gonna say the question out loud uh, i'll say it once and then i will repeat it again a second time after i've repeated it <laughs> a second time you guys can say an answer whoever says their answer first will be going first whoever says it's second will be going second and you each will get a 45 second uh opening and a 30 second rebuttal um you can use your time however you want but are there any questions about how it's going to work no okay so uh the question uh is in the realm of fandom and the question is what is the most watchable fandom movie? Rewatchable. Rewatchable. Sorry. Rewatchable fandom movie. So again, what is the most rewatchable fandom movie? The Lion King. <laughs> Fellowship of the Ring. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, Boatman, you're going to go first uh, with The Lion King. Again, remember you... We'll have 45 seconds, and I will uh, give you a 10-second countdown. I'm going to stay on screen. We're all going to stay on screen. Uh, so, yes. What is the most? What is the most rewatchable fandom movie? So, uh, uh, Boatman, you have 45 seconds to open your argument when you start talking. The Lion King is one of the most perfectly structured movies ever. Like, that pacing, it's one of the most well-paced movies ever. I think that legitimately you have the opening stuff, which is super fun. 
with, with young Simba, and then you have him with Timon and Pumbaa, and then you have the final climactic bat battle. I think ultimately Lion King is a movie I could watch over and over and over again. Fellowship of the Ring, A, it's long, so it's not super rewatchable because there's not a lot of times where I want to watch a like two and a half hour movie. Um, Lion King is a breezy 90 minutes. Ultimately, I think it has a lot of great music that you can listen to. I think there's a lot of slog. Like, it takes a while to get out of the Shire. There's a lot of stuff. Like, just in a lot of the locations, I think a lot of it gets bogged down. Time. Nick, 45 seconds when you start talking. The Lion King is not perfectly paced. They, you have that whole section with Scar singing his song that's really terrible. You skip the entirety of si the middle of Simba's life, and then all of a sudden he's just ready to go back and do battle. Uh, you ever heard of Hamlet? Yeah, me too, because that's what The Lion King is. I don't need to watch that over and over and over again once, and I'm actually pretty good. I don't need to see Mufasa get trampled by beasts hundreds of times. Uh, the Fellowship of the Ring might be two and a half hours, if that's really the thing we're going here is length. Uh, I'd rather watch two and a half hours of gold than an hour and a half of, like, silver, bronze. Um you get you have so many new characters upon rewatch you can learn new things about the new about all of the characters because there's so many different things to explore there's so many things that you get to relive the moments are great but all of the stuff in between is why you rewatch is because you get to learn about the different relationships between all the characters and what makes them tick there's Time. nothing like that in like Bowman 30 seconds when you start it takes so long for the fellowship to actually be formed i think there's a lot of like I don't love the stuff in the Prime Skin Pony. I think that kind of brings stuff down. I think there's a lot of, like, really slowish, like, talky moments. I think other Lord of the Rings movies, there's a lot more action. You get a lot to the heavy. I think there's a lot of just kind of just waiting around. I think a lot of stuff in the Shires like that. Lion King keeps things moving. I think the stuff with Scar is actually really fun. The song with him and I've got a lovely bunch of coconuts. I think that shows us what Scar is like as the Time. Nick, 30 seconds when you start. There's not a slow moment in the Fellowship of the Ring. I don't know why. It, it gets going from the moment. I love being in the Shire. I love having Gandalf find out what, what the ring is like. I love having Bilbo leave his party with the ring. They're all great moments. The Fellowship gets kicked off right from the very beginning, and it's this incredible adventure that you get to go on. There's great action with Aragorn and Gimli and Legolas. Throughout, there's great action with Gandalf. Gandalf for Saruman is great. The Lion King has forgettable characters like Zazu and the third hyena, whatever their name is. There's issues in the middle. I don't love watching The Lion King over and over again because there's nothing new you get. There's a lot of sacrilegious stuff being said here tonight, Cody. Well, what the actual fuck? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Can we give him another 10 seconds? Oh, man. God, the next time I watch the fucking Shawshank Redemption, I'm going to shit all over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Damn. This is fucking rough. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'll wait till you have your stuff written down. Then I'll sway. I don't want to sway anything. <laughs> this match lived up to the hype for me, though. So thanks, guys. 
And you only got at each other's throats just a little bit. I just I didn't want to learn all the names of the fucking songs. <laughs> I love you, Twig. Love you too. <laughs> Are we good? No, not particularly. <laughs> Do we have answers written that we're yes. comfortable with? No. I actually wrote both on yes. my board and I'm waiting to erase one of them. Well, you're going first, I think. The fuck? No, Robert, Robert, Robert's, <laughs> going, Robert, Robert's going first. That's right. I, I, should be the de- I should be the deciding vote this time. You are. You are. You are going. First. I would not. Oh, well, good. Maybe you fucking can people make sure can Cody end doesn't pull a James White. I'm going to put both and White one away. Are we good? I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with it. I'm gonna lose friendship, but I'm gonna go with this. <laughs> okay, uh, Robert, you get to go first. So it's most rewatchable fandom movie. Uh, there's a lot of um, metrics by which you can say that, right? The runtime, the how good the movie is, and the music, and the the characters, and all that kind of stuff. I thought the person who made the best argument for rewarding each rewatch was Nick. I think uh, his points about uh, really getting into the intricacies of the relationships between every character and finding something new each time you watch the movie, I thought that was a really, really strong argument. Uh, I think Caleb argued his uh, argument perfectly. I think Lion King is an excellent, 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 like perfect movie in every way. The runtime, I think, is a very strong argument. But as far as uh, you know, the movie gets better each time you watch it, I thought Nick made a better, better argument for that. All right, I'll go next, and I won't sugarcoat it. I went with Nick for pretty much exactly the same reason Robert did. So, uh, Cody, your vote doesn't count, but where would you have gone and why? And I just can't wait to be king. Um, I just overall thought that it was – I'm shocked that the Middle Earth boys and the, the Disney show – It would have Tim cut out for me. I have no idea what happened. You won. Oh, you won. You won. Oh, Cool. My vote is Bowman, but uh, the reason why I it's not because of Lion King. I just think just overall how he was able the pacing. I don't think the pacing was able able to be attacked. Bowman brought up some points about like what slows his counter for that is it goes from Jump Street and wasn't like give me a lot of things. Again, it's a very short time for a round question, but that's why I would have went Bowman. All right, your winner is Nick Tuig. Uh, we will start by talking to the uh, second place finisher today boatman you played hell of a match like i was saying while we were waiting for uh votes this match lived up to the hype uh you guys both brought your a game uh how are you feeling good you know i i i'll be honest i did not i didn't i kind of expected to actually do worse so i'm i'm feeling good uh i i i'll be honest when i saw the disney question I thought I was going to lose. Not when I saw Nick's answer, because I knew what his answer was going to be, because I think the Jungle Book is objectively the correct answer. And I kind of was like, Nick's going to take the Jungle Book, and I have lost. Uh, so I just picked the one with the highest quantity of songs that I knew the most. So, And I was able to punch through that. Um, so that took play a great game. Uh, you know, I, I think that we play this match 10 times and we each win five. Yeah, absolutely. It was very, very close the whole time. Um, so this does mean that you are out of the tournament, but, um, 
you still are like one of one of my favorite people to watch debate. Is there anybody that you want to slap around uh, later this season or next season? Give me Jim Green. Um, I think we could maybe. Oh, let me let me see here. Who do we got? Uh, I, I'll, I'll we'll talk after the match. I got to look at the records, um, and see what the records are all about. But we can maybe swing something. Jim Green. That sounds fun. <laughs> Actually, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, so, uh, Boatman, we will see you very soon. Um, let's go over to Nick. Nick, uh, you eked it out there in the end in the bonus question. Uh. You looked pretty upset at a couple of the rulings, but you managed to make the win happen. Uh, how are you feeling? Well, I usually try not to. Let, everyone is going to be upset when someone runs the other way, and, and I just I try not to let it show. But man, I wanted that. Um, I thought I was going to lose the sports one, and I I knew I picked the correct choice. But I know Bowman just knows so much about pre nineteen seventies Disney animation, and I hate it. Um, so I kind of figured he would win that one. Um, and then I thought I might lose the sports one, so I was like, I'm going to win the the freaking sixties comedy one because no one's no one's going to see that shit coming. And I really thought I had it. Um, and then he spent his entire closing like doing math about something that I didn't say exactly. So I thought I had it, but then whatever. Uh, outside of that, Bowman did fantastic, and Bowman's really good. Like I wasn't I wasn't kidding when uh, I thought he should have beat Cody in that um, that match uh, all those many years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I, it was fun. I'm exhausted. I hate this, but I like it. Good time. Fair. Uh, well, you are going to probably get exhausted again because your next opponent okay. is going to be either the rematch, Andrew Barr, oh, fun. or Kirk Kolkowski. Those both sound just fucking awful. <laughs> Barr's going to make me defend some uh, KKK movie again. And then freaking Kirk's gonna make me watch some Japanese film I've never seen, and this is gonna be a bad time for me. I'm not gonna like it. <laughs> I think he already used used Kurosawa, so you might be in the clear. Uh, but... not this round, so next round it's free. We'll we'll, we'll figure it out later. But uh, Nick, congrats on the win. Thanks. We will uh, see you in the next round of the tournament. Uh, Robert, your final thoughts. Oh boy, that last one was like genuinely very, very close. I think Bowman hit it, nailed it on the head when he said if these guys played it 10 times, it'd be pretty damn close uh, of who wins, you know, five or six and four or whatever. Uh, you know, a different question that last speed round, Bowman could have taken it a couple different points here and there. And all those were super, super damn close. Yeah, and Cody, what about you? I, yeah, I think this overall was really strong. Uh, they used like two, arguably two of my favorite movies against them, like in this round. So like, I'm really upset about that. It made it really hard because I had to like check that at the door. Mm -hmm. um, even though I voted for both my favorite movies, I'm not gonna say, but bullshit. Um, but overall, uh, this tournament's like heating up to be a really good match. And like, that's the thing. Like, Bowman and them could have met in the title, like for the title or for the finals. It's just how the bracket broke down and where they were located. So again, Bowman pissed me off when we debated it, and I still think he should have beat me too. So, but I still don't take anybody saying that they should have beat me correctly. So yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Good match. So guys, thank you for checking out this episode of fan zone. We will be back. Uh, I believe we are now on a uh, weekly schedule. We are. So we will be back uh, next week as we lead up to mayhem and the title match, uh, to find out who's going to play Jacoby. So, uh, next week we have one that I'm also very excited for. Caleb Coho is stepping back to play RJ 
that's going to be a good one. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. So we'll see you next. We will see you next week with that match. Thank you to Robert and to Cody for judging with me today and to Nick and to Boatman. We'll see you next time later. That's my bad, I was sending a tweet.